Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, yeah, the grass is green. But it's not what it seems. Cause when you think you want it, you just need it. I'm gonna live where the green grass grows. Watch my corn pop up in rows. The grass is always green around the other side. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. We are here every Saturday morning to talk about things you need help with. Things to be done in the yard. Things that you maybe don't want in the yard. A few calls about nuisance wildlife today. And planting trees and shrubs. This is a great time to do it. Fall is a wonderful time. It's ideal for planting trees and shrubs in the landscape. You can jump over to my Facebook page. I haven't promoted that today. Uh, Search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB, and I just posted a video that I did. Now, granted, I tried to make it three easy steps um, on planting a tree, and there's a lot more to it, but those were just the basics. I filmed the video actually out in front of the Cox Arboretum, um, friend of the show, Tom Cox, sadly passed away uh, this past spring, but I'm so lucky I got to know that man. What a wonderful man with such a passion for conifers, for ginkgos, uh, his 13-acre private arboretum located in Canton. And we had a great work day, uh, myself and some volunteers and some, some of the Cherokee County Master Gardeners, and it was beautiful. Couldn't have asked for better fall color, so you'll see that in the video. Uh, but the basics of planting a tree, if it seems a little overwhelming, it's a good place to start. And I think about a week ago, I shared something from uh, the Arbor Day Foundation, too, a really good video with techniques on how to properly plant a tree. Because once you put it there, it's pretty permanent. Uh, and as Nicole mentioned in the last hour, let's not plant under power lines or too close to the house. you got to keep all those things in mind. Uh, 404-872-0750. We're talking about armadillos. Jason called, said they're tearing up his lawn last hour, and I totally understand that. And uh, Richard from Union City up next talking about armadillos, too. Hey there, Richard. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. It's good to talk to you. You too. Same. Thank you. Well, I discovered that uh, I had some chipmunks. I've never had the armadillos invasion, but uh, the chipmunks, and they, as uh, an old stump, and they would dig uh, tunnels uh, around that stump, and then they uh, make these little uh, escape tunnels, you know, because if a critter comes after them, they go out to the escape tunnel and come up and uh, <laughs> leave the critter behind. And then my dog was digging up all this stuff and trying to. Um, dig out from under the fence where the chipmunks were. Mm-hmm. So I uh, had a bag of lime. You can get one for about $25 at the most, but 50 pounds. And I just took a paper cup and sprinkled it all around where the dogs were digging. And uh, uh, they quit digging and the uh, chipmunks went away. Huh. All right. So maybe you're suggesting that for maybe Jason with the armadillo problem too? It might work. It's worth yeah. a try. Interesting. And I know a lot of folks have lime at the ready, you know, um, for changing the pH of our lawns, right? Changing the pH of our soil to make uh, conditions a little more conducive to growing grass. Uh, warning that it is, you know, highly caustic. 
uh, very powdery, very gritty, can get into the air and all of that. But that does happen to be uh, oftentimes, Richard, one of the active ingredients in a lot of these things you may see commercially, um, armadillo scram, armadillo deterrence, whatever any of those things have. Uh, just like deer, they're very finicky about taste and smell. And so a lot of these repellents include like castor oil, maybe some garlicky or red peppery something or another. And yeah, lime is uh, oftentimes in those too. So that's a great point. That's a very great point. Thanks for the call. Um, doing those things too in conjunction with one another. Anything you do as a deterrent over and over and over, well, the animal's just going to get used to it, right? So you do have to kind of mix it up and consider taste and smell, those two things, um, and kind of keep it different, kind of keep it ever evolving so that the animal doesn't become, I guess, immune to something that you're using over and over. Um, Much the same in our landscapes when we use uh, any kind of uh, herbicide. You know, you don't want to use the same product forever because a disease or a fungus could could, could become resistant to something. So, for example, a fungicide. Uh, there's many active ingredients in different fungicides on the market, and you want to alternate the types that you use again. So, any disease or resistant or a disease or fungus doesn't become resistant. Same with the nuisance wildlife too. Richard, thanks for the call. That's uh, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, if it's an active ingredient. Uh, in an armadillo repellent, I would say that it's there's something to it there. 404-872-0750. Up next, it's Harry calling from Atlanta. Hey, Harry, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Wonderful. What can I do for you today? Well, I've got uh, a lot of evergreen uh, shrubbery mm-hmm. around the house, and I've got a lot of outliers that I didn't prune. Is it okay to prune them now? Now, are you talking about like limbs that are just longer than the rest of the shape of the plant? Yes, exactly. Okay, I was making uh, sure you weren't talking about like suckers coming up from the ground. I thought that's weird. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so just shaping up evergreens, that's that's a very interesting task. Um, It's a little intimidating to me, I'll be honest. I I don't have that many. I do have some Lelands, and they just don't look really good, so I don't touch them. I'm just kind of waiting for them to die. But yeah, to keep those shaped and properly uh, you know, pruned and healthy and all of that. Just remember, needled evergreens, they don't sprout new growth as vigorously as our regular broadleaf plants do. Um, so if you prune something like that, a Leland cypress, arborvitae, juniper, anything like that, uh, it will never regrow. It won't re-sprout greenery from that cut. So you can shorten the limbs as long as you make the cuts back to green growth. So there's green growth left behind on the rest of the limb. Try not to uh, leave stubs as well. So when you cut, make cuts back to an origin point, right? So when you're looking at the tip of the branch and going inward, cut back to where something else is coming off of that limb or off of that branch. Um, Right now, I wouldn't do a whole lot. Um, I think just the general... Like I said, I'm not as familiar with pruning evergreens, but really waiting until early spring to do a lot of our pruning. Um, That's ideal. Rick Smith, the pruning guru, I'm going to have him uh, on next Saturday to cover some of this. But a lot of major pruning that we do now generally on other things induces new growth, right? Generally, that is a rule of thumb. So when you prune, something's going to want to grow even more vigorous from that pruning cut. So the stuff that's new growth is not going to have time to harden off before a freeze. And that's when you see if you've cut back 
boxwoods or lore pedlum, you know, Chinese fringe or something like that. And then you're like, oh, all this new different colored growth is coming from the tips. And then all of a sudden all that stuff becomes crunchy uh, at the outer edges of the bush is because it got hit by a freeze and didn't have time to harden off. Now, as I just said, though, when you make a cut from an evergreen, growth doesn't come back. So it'd probably be safer if you're just doing some selective pruning on an evergreen right now. That would be okay, Harry. My gosh, that was a really long way to answer your question. I'm sorry. I just try to include my, my train of thought sometimes, just try to make it broad and cover all all aspects. But yeah, certainly take that out. Make the cut back to an origination point, uh, something else, another growth point, and it should be good to go. Thank you for the call. That's really good. More pruning questions. This one up next comes from Kathy and Morrow. Hey, Kathy. Hey, how are you? Wonderful. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that I'm going to get some correct answers. Um, we've been living in our house for six years, uh-huh. and we had a we have a Japanese maple that was so small. This Japanese maple has grown so tall; it's going over our roof, oh. not over it, but you know, right on the edge. Yeah. Um, so I want to cut it back. Um, but I'm afraid to. I don't want to kill it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so selective pruning is going to be key here, Kathy. And it's one of those things that if you're really reducing the size of it, you can't plan to do it all at once. This is going to be in stages, especially with a maple. You want to keep it kind of true to form with a nice shape. You know, I mean, they're they're grown and they they have certain growth habits and growth patterns, and you want to keep them that way. So it is a task over a few seasons. Um, I've got a maple that's just become too large for my yard, and I had Norm Mitleider, who's a certified aesthetic pruner and specializes in Japanese maples, come out like in April, and he did some really good pruning in April. Um, and then I think probably another good time is maybe September, early October. Uh, so again, maybe doing a little bit two or three times throughout the year to over time, reduce the size of the maple. Generally, when we're talking about pruning something that large or even, you know, evergreen shrubs or something, you never want to remove more than a third of the plant. So, I mean, if you remove a third of a tree's canopy all at once, like that's even a lot. It's got to keep enough leaves on it to be able to gain that sun, uh, gather that sunlight, photosynthesize, send all the energy back to the roots. And once it kind of comes, you know, bottom heavy, there's so many roots, but we've taken away so much of the canopy, there's not going to be enough leaves up there to uh, re- proportionately feed the root system and the root size of that tree. So that's that's why we think of only removing a third all at one time or less. Uh, so go after it maybe in the spring, March or April, uh, when it's starting to leaf out and you can see, oh gosh, there's going to be even more new growth and it's going to put out more new branches. And stand back and just kind of selectively start with the stuff that looks dead, right? Start with anything that looks dead, dying. Uh, it's It's got a wound on it or it's broken. Uh, the bark's disrupted or disturbed on some of those branches. That's easy. That's number one. Then once you've removed some of that, you may already start to see a little bit of improvement. And then cut the limbs that are in the way. Um, if they're low and you can't do the riding lawnmower underneath them or they're coming over onto the deck or into the gutter or something like that, remove those next. Anything that's just out of shape, like when Harry just called about the you know limbs that are just too long for the rest of the, the evergreen, cut the stuff that just doesn't look right. And then just be selective about what else you remove. And keep in mind, though, anywhere where we cut, 
Uh, there is going to be new growth there. It's just going to take some time to catch back up. But overall, if you're thinning out the canopy, I think that's going to be beneficial. I hope that helps. It is in stages. So maybe wait till March or April, do a little bit in the summertime. And then again in September, October, just stay after it. Always have really sharp pruners. Uh, it's, it's a process, standing back, going back in, cutting, standing back, looking at your work. Uh, but it can be done. So I think that's good. Or you can just find an arborist as well uh, if you want to have a consult with a certified Georgia arborist who you know may want to do that. And they could maybe do a little more at a time um, and safely. I can't believe I don't remember the website. Georgia Arborist Association. You can find a certified arborist. Ah, georgiaarborist.org. GeorgiaArborist.org there on the website. You just go to find a tree professional, type in your zip code, and you can find some help there. 404-872-0750. Time to check traffic, and we'll be back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. An update on the weekend's weather brought to you by Finley Roofing and Channel 2 Chief Meteorologist Brad Nitzen for Christina Edwards. Scattered showers today, just a sea of green over the radar, it seems, for the next few hours. A high of 58, low of 48. Rain in the forecast tomorrow, 70%. Cloudy, breezy, and cool with highs in the mid-50s tomorrow. And the rain may start to move out late in the afternoon tomorrow and maybe dry on Monday. The complete forecast coming right up. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, as we think about the weather getting a little bit cooler, maybe consider some black oil sunflower seeds in those feeders. It takes up more space, so it seems like the feeder's more full. Uh, But the birds will find and eat each seed, and you won't have chipmunks or squirrels on the ground trying to get to the rest of that stuff when the birds kick out the millet and things like that uh, that the little ground dwellers are trying to eat. And the uh, National Audubon Society has a great list of different uh, foods to consider in the wintertime for the birds. And I just shared that on the Facebook page. So top 10 foods uh, for winter bird feeding. That's pretty interesting. If you want to consider suet and some other things, peanuts, uh, visit my Facebook page. Search Green and Growing WSB. Number two, rake fallen leaves and replace the mulch under roses, under hydrangeas, crab apples, and dogwoods, just to name a few. Those specifically just to prevent disease from next year. Uh, the crab apples, if some of that fruit on the ground is rotted, maybe there's fungus that was on the rose leaves and all of that stuff is staying under the plant over the winter. We don't want those fungal spores to overwinter. So that's why you're raking everything out from underneath it. New mulch, tidy up perennial flower beds and clean out leaves from the crown of a plant. Like, you know, all those leaves are deep down in your hydrangea. Have a glove on. Try to remove as much of that as you can, again, to prevent rot. And number three, dig up caladium and elephant ear and dahlia bulbs now. While you can still find them in the landscape, the foliage hasn't gone away yet. And it's still kind of warm, so it's pleasant to be outside. Store in boxes of peat moss or perlite or even crumbled newspaper, something that's going to dry out those bulbs. Something else you can do is just cover them with a thick layer of pine straw or leaves. Just rake that over where those things want to stay in the ground if you want to try to overwinter them. And I would bring in geraniums and begonias, ferns too, before it freezes, if that's stuff you want to keep. Um, Another update from the Georgia Forestry Commission with what little bit of fall color we have left. Coming up next, you're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. 
half an hour left to go. I am multitasking like a like a fool in here today, doing a lot of different things at once, but hopefully keeping you engaged, keeping you interested, answering your questions. 404-872-0750 is the number. A lot of great questions coming in, whether folks are calling in and have to hang up or on the Facebook page. Um, good morning to Bradley and Carrie and Jay and Paige, who have all checked in on the Facebook page this morning. I'll get to some of their questions in a moment. Uh, Royce from Flowery Branch out there driving around. Is it too late to plant fescue seed? Um, really what we're concerned with there, what you want to think about is what the soil temperature is. That is, you know, what's going to allow it to germinate, to grow. Of course, moisture levels are important too. That's why it was so critical for us these last three or four weeks to be watering those of us that did already seed. Um, depending on where you're looking at, soil temps in the high 50s, low 60s is ideal for germination. Um, that occurs generally September, October. Things are cooling down now, but going on to the UGA Weather Network, average soil temperature calculator now uh, looking at still temperatures in the mid-60s. So I would say it's still fine uh, for most of metro Atlanta. It's going to be tough. Well, Flowery Branch, yeah, you're fine. Hall County. Gwinnett County. Uh, yeah, if the soil temperatures are still hovering around the low to mid-60s, that is still just fine for the seed to germinate. Again, moisture is so important and seed-to-soil contact as well, Royce. So, you know, I wouldn't just take the spreader and go spread the seed uh, over the soil, water it in, and call it a day. I mean, it's really important, especially with this being the the time of year that fescue loves. It's a cool season grass, so it stays green. It thrives in the cooler season. And so this is its time to shine, really working up that soil as well as you can. That's why people um, aerate. Uh, they aerate, they break up the soil, pull up the plugs and things. That way the, the seed is able to shake down into the soil to get better seed-to-soil contact for germination. And watering, again, is so important, making sure that new lawn, as it's establishing, gets at least an inch of water a week. Uh, and then, as Clint Waltz, our friends from the University of Georgia, says, like, you can't pause germination, right? Like, oh, the seed started to germinate, and then pause don't water, don't do anything. Now you can't do that. Once that uh, little grass blade has come up from the seed, it's got to stay hydrated or else it's going to die. Um, and, and my lawn guy, Chuck, once he seeded for me, he was like, you know what? I would wait three or four weeks before you even try to mow, right? Because we don't want to do some really harsh cutting on those new little grass blades. Let them uh, strengthen up a little bit before you are in a hurry to mow. So again, my long-winded answer to your question is I don't think it's too late. Uh, if the soil temperatures are still looking like they're in the low 60s, I think that would be just fine. And a great question came from Paige. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I did talk about winterizing your lawnmowers, you know, ch uh, checking the air filter, emptying out the oil and the gas reserves, well, changing the oil, um, emptying out the gasoline before you put it away. Paige had a great question about what about a battery-powered lawnmower? That was a great question. Um, if you've got warm season grass, you've got that centipede, zoysia, bermuda, and it is going dormant now, and you're not going to have to mow it anymore. You're putting it away. Often those will have safety plugs. So you want to disconnect that, and you don't want to store these electric mowers with the battery on them. So remove the battery. You've got to store it somewhere where it stays dry off the charger. Don't keep it on the charger all winter long. Um, from some of the things I've seen from the different companies, uh, Ryobi and such, that that make these uh, electric mowers, they say to kind of try to either charge the battery up to or discharge the battery to about 40% of its capacity uh, when you store it. So don't store it fully charged 
Don't store it completely dead. 40 to 50% of its capacity. Have it off the charger. Keep it somewhere dry. All of that's going to help to extend the life of the battery because they're not cheap and they're sometimes hard to find if it's a mower that's a little bit older. Um, And as you would with a gasoline-powered mower, clean under the decking of the mower, store it clean, store it in a dry place, and you should be good to go. So that's really good. Um, And we'll be talking more about pruning next week as well. Uh, Jay wrote in and said, hey, it's a great topic for your show. I prune the right-of-way sidewalks, you know, so it doesn't bother the people bicycling or strollers and edging the sidewalks. All of that is great. Keeping tree limbs from, from, you know, impeding pedestrian traffic, um, all of that is a really great idea. Before I get back to calls, 404-872-0750. Wanted to do just a final uh, Georgia Leaf Watch update as uh, the rain came in yesterday over the last 24 hours. That has knocked a lot of our beautiful fall color down, sadly. So uh, the 2023 fall leaf viewing season winding down and concluding now all elevations above around 2,200 feet or well past peak. Uh, freezing temperatures and some abnormally dry conditions led to uh, a lot of things falling earlier than normal, but we still had great color. This report is from Ben Cobb um, up in north central Georgia. A mix of red and white oaks, sourwood, maple, beech, and hickory are still the primary tree species displaying really good color uh, in elevations that are lower than 2,000 feet. So it's sad that we've reached peak uh, widespread freezing temperatures Across all elevation ranges led to rapid fall color change. So most tree species are reaching peak conditions for a very brief period. And then, as we've seen, the leaves are starting to uh, come down. But it was really just a fantastic season. And I had to ask some of my garden friends because I couldn't remember. uh, There is an evergreen, a big, tall evergreen, that the needles start to bronze. And it looks so pretty. I mean, it's truly bronze. It is not an ugly brown. And that's a bald cypress. Uh, and if you have a bald cypress in your landscape or you pass by one every day, I, I don't want you to think, oh, no, it's it's sickly. It's dying. The the needles are browning. That is what they are supposed to do on a bald cypress. Just the bronze in color is just beautiful. The needles seem to be a little bit more fine um, on a bald cypress. So maybe a couple of you out there are going, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm glad Ashley mentioned that. I was wondering the same thing. Maybe not, but now you know. Four <laughs> 404-872. 0750 is the number to call, and that's exactly what David and Buckhead did to get on the show right now. Hey, David, good morning. Good morning, Ms. Walter. How are you? <laughs> oh, that's a compliment. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Headed out to my farm. Oh, oh where's that at? Out in Eatonton. Love it. Okay, good deal. What you got going on the farm today? Uh, not much. It's so, it's so rainy. I don't think I'm going to be able to get outside much at all. You just had to get out of the house, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get Labrador, it. My Labrador requires a lot of swimming and, and running, and so that's what we're doing. For oh, her. good, good. Um, my question for you was, is this the correct time of year to be pruning back my oak leaf hydrangeas? No. Mm-mm, no. Uh, right. Love those for fall color, so don't want to do a lot of pruning. And really, you know, since they live in the shade, they don't need a lot of pruning anyways. But if you need to tidy them up uh, early yeah. spring to tidy them up or just general pruning after they flower, like in the summer when they're done flowering, that's when you need to prune them. Okay, because these are like, they're now like 10 to 12 feet, and I need to take them back to about seven to eight. Okay, yep, yep. Extreme pruning like that then would definitely best to be done um, right after they flower in the summertime. Uh, That way you're giving them an entire year 
to put back out new growth and, you know, buds and all of that so you won't miss out any of the blooms the following year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Yeah. Easy peasy. Thank you. And enjoy, enjoy Eatonton. Tell everybody out there we said hello. Well, we're actually going through Madison. There have been some big, uh, you know, Christmas pre-weekend special stroll thing that oh. the whole merchants do, so it's going to be a fun weekend. Yeah, I love that stuff. I think it's still a little too early for the Christmas stuff, but, I mean, I had a coworker put up a Christmas tree on Halloween, so <laughs> it seems to get earlier and earlier. I was driving through uh, Cherokee Veterans Park uh, the other day doing a little bit of work at the garden there, and it's off Highway 20 in Canton, and they're already starting to set up all the Christmas lights for kind of the drive through uh, Cherokee Veterans Park, so that's something to consider for anybody from my side of town up in Cherokee County. David, thank you so much for the call. Great question about hydrangeas. Um, most of them, if you are in doubt, it's just a really good rule of thumb to prune them right after they flower. That is your safest bet. And do- I can hear Dr. Alan Armitage in my head from the University of Georgia too. Prune after flowering. Like he's like, just let's not overthink it. Let's keep it simple. Um, because if you prune too late, I mean, they immediately start, you know, putting on buds, releasing that energy and putting on buds that stay on the plant for months and months and months before they open and become flowers. So if you wait too long and you're cutting off the branches that have buds and then you're calling me next spring going, it didn't flower, it looks healthy, but it didn't flower. That's why. Um, If you look carefully right now at your azaleas and rhododendrons, same thing. They already have the buds on there and they're just going to chill all winter long and wait to open and wait to look really great. So um, something else, as, as David just brought up the holiday, uh, this this got me thinking, this publication from the Home and Garden Information Center, Clemson Extension, uh, is wonderful, too. Of course, we've got the University of Georgia Extension and the College of Ag, but Clemson's is, is great, too. They put out an article recently, Holiday Food Safety Tips. And I thought this was interesting because we're thinking about the turkey. People start to argue about what's prepared in the Thanksgiving meal, uh, when to thaw the turkey and all that kind of stuff. And we don't want to screw that up, right? We, we don't want to make ourselves and our family and all of our guests sick. So there was a lot of good things in here, uh, reminders for preparing your Thanksgiving meal. Cook food thoroughly. Uh, if you've never invested in a food thermometer, boy, that's great. You know, you're not sure of that pork chop and you're not sure of that tenderloin or that sirloin steak, you know, the the food thermometer is just a fabulous thing to have. Uh, don't eat raw dough or batter as much as it pains me to say that. I grew up eating raw cookie dough and I'm still here to talk about it. But, you know, uh, use pasteurized eggs for dishes containing raw eggs, salmonella and all these other things. You want to be careful. But anyways, thawing the turkey. Uh, thaw it safely in the refrigerator in a sink of cold water. You have to change the water every 30 minutes or in the microwave. The microwave, that sounds like a dumb idea. I guess it depends on how large your microwave is. Uh, but don't thaw it on the counter. A turkey must thaw at a safe temperature to prevent harmful germs from multiplying. So you got to think that in advance, right? If you're thawing it in the refrigerator or in a sink of cold water, I mean, especially moving it from the freezer uh, to the fridge, if it has been frozen, that, that could take a couple of days. A lot of times the label uh, will definitely remind you of when to safely do that. So some good things to think about. What else? Keep food separated. If anybody has allergies, um, but ensure the meats and chicken and turkey and seafood and all of that separated from other food items. When you're shopping and then when it's storing in the refrigerator, you don't want the juices coming out of the packaging of some of the meats onto other foods. Uh, Store eggs in the original carton in the main compartment of the refrigerator. Deviled eggs, that's a must with our family for Thanksgiving. And it wasn't until recent years that my husband and I, I mean, I we're call us dumb, but, you know, we always had deviled eggs at Thanksgiving and at Easter. And I think it was one summer that we were like, 
why don't we fix deviled eggs with dinner? And I was like, no, that's not allowed. That's a holiday food. We, we got to wait till Easter or Thanksgiving. But nah, deviled eggs, you can do anytime. And you can do all kinds of things to spruce them up. Put a little bit of bacon bits on there, maybe some diced jalapenos, maybe some avocado. Um, yeah, I've talked about food a lot. Must be saying something this show. Uh, 404-872-0750. Just another addendum, I guess, to what Paige was calling about storing a, um electric mower. Tim called and he had to run. If you have the battery out of the mower, don't leave it on the garage floor during the winter. Storing any battery on concrete will drain its power quickly. Ah, thanks, Tim. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, store it inside. Store it where the temperature stays pretty steady uh, or just put away safely on a shelf somewhere. All right, we'll be right back. Top three things to do in the landscape this weekend when it dries out a little bit next on WSB. The update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. It's rainy. It's going to be rainy today, rainy tomorrow with highs in the mid to upper 50s and then warming up and starting to dry out uh, Monday with a high of 62. The complete forecast comes up in less than 10 minutes. Green green, and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Number one, dig up caladium, elephant ear, and dahlia bulbs and store in boxes of peat moss, perlite, or crumpled newspaper. The idea is to let them dry out. Or you just keep all that stuff in the ground, cover it with overturned pots or boxes for the winter when it gets really cold, or just cover over with a lot of uh, pine straw or leaves. Number two, rake the fallen leaves and the mulch from under roses, hydrangeas, crab apples, and dogwoods to prevent disease for next year. Replace with new mulch and clean Clean out leaves from the crown of plants to prevent rot. You see leaves drop down into your hydrangea. You don't want to keep it that way. And number three, fill bird feeders with black oil sunflower seeds. That's a good idea. They find and eat each seed and you won't have the chipmunks and squirrels feeding on the ground. I want to take some time really quickly. Renata from Tucker, if you can ask your question quick, I think I have an answer. Good morning. Yes, good morning. So nice talking to you. You Uh, You're doing a wonderful job. Anyway, uh, I last year, uh, my Thanksgiving cactus. It was blooming beautifully, and I watered it, and the blossoms died. So I want your advice uh, whether uh, to to limit the watering or how to keep the blossoms alive. I think so. Limit the watering. That the Christmas and Thanksgiving cactus and orchids. I think we tend to overwater because we get a little scared. Uh, So I would dial back the watering. And it's really important for those, too, if you have the opportunity over the summer to keep them out on a back deck or patio. They get a lot of sunlight for a good four or five months in the summertime. And then that way they're kind of charged up when you bring them in. And, of course, that Thanksgiving cactus, as you mentioned, uh, blooms earlier than a Christmas cactus. A lot of people are like, oh, my Christmas cactus is blooming early. No, you actually have a Thanksgiving cactus. Uh, The leaves are different. And I'll actually post that on the Facebook page so you can tell the difference. Uh, They look very, very different from one another. Uh, I'll share that if you search Facebook for green and growing, but you've got it, Renata. That's that's great advice to yourself. Just water a little bit less. And then when the blooms do drop off, you know, that's totally normal for them to fall off. But just to make it a little more prolific, that uh, bright sunshine in the summertime is really going to help. Thanks for the call. Uh, again, just a reminder, folks, to go on wsbradio.com slash green and growing for my page, articles, uh, things happening around town. Listen to the podcast. I'll have that up later today or tomorrow if you missed any parts of the show. But my favorite part is the events portion. When you go to green and growing events, it's all the stuff around town, webinars, workshops, things to do for gardeners to keep learning and fun stuff to enjoy especially over the holidays. I will be at a uh, fundraiser for the Marietta Tree Keepers this Monday. 
uh, at 5 p.m. the Marietta Melt Yard on Whitlock Avenue, and I'll be serving drinks. I'm so excited. I've never done that. I've never been a bartender. Uh, but I'm going to be out there, so if after work on Monday you find your way near the Marietta Square, look up the Marietta Melt Yard and come on down and have a great weekend. Everybody really excited about that big old game in Athens. I think the dogs are going to win it. I have no doubt. Go dogs, everyone. Have a wonderful weekend, and happy Veterans Day. Thanks to all of you so much. Take care. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.